Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Welcome to the new episode, the first in this year of the FEPS Talks. And it's my privilege to have with us Annelies Dodds, who is the British Labour and Cooperative Party's politician, uh, who is the member of parliament coming from Oxford East, a former member of the European Parliament, a first woman ever who had a position of the shadow chancellor of Exchequer, the part and the very important member of the shadow cabinet uh, in a position of the shadow secretary of state for women and equalities, and the chair of the Labour Party. So lovely to have you back on the European Waves, Annelies. Well, it's really lovely to be here, I must say, Anya, and it's very, very pleased to be here as a supporter, of course, of uh, Fez and also the Fabians as well. And we've got an event coming up this weekend, which I'm really looking forward to. So, yeah, really lovely to be here for this conversation. We absolutely do. And uh, let me cut down the chase because uh, you are going to be a speaker at the panel that is going to touch upon the future of social democracy um, and being a chair of what is called Stronger Together, which for our listeners, probably from the other sister parties, I would really recommend to also check at the Labour Party uh, website. I would like to ask about a few words. What is that makes this document so special as the visionary part of how the Labour Party wants to see Britain in 2030? Well, I think both Britain, but every other country has experienced such a challenging time, haven't we, over the last few months, the kind of experiences that none of us would have expected, unprecedented, obviously, outside times of war, really, and national mobilisation for conflict, when we've seen a situation where communities, institutions have had to come together in order to face up to the absolutely enormous challenge of coronavirus. And certainly within the UK, we've seen time and time again, it's been through working together that we've been effective. Uh, so we've seen, for example, neighbours working together to support the elderly in their streets, forming mutual aid committees. We've found business, working with trade unions, working with, for example, the Welsh government uh, as part of our ventilator challenge. Um, we've seen that kind of working together time and time again, also volunteers coming into the vaccine uh, challenge that's been operating, and of course the NHS as well, and local councils. And I think people have seen the value of that working together, and they've seen how it makes us stronger. So of course, that's why we've called our policy review stronger together, and we're seeking to learn the lessons of what's worked well during the crisis and before it, what's helped us to succeed as a country, and where we could be doing better and what we need to do to get us there. So uh, that policy review or, or policy development process, it's organised into different streams. They're all focused on challenges that our country needs to face up to in the run-up to 2030. Obviously, the really big issues like how we face up to the climate crisis and ecological damage, how we can make sure also that we have better jobs and better work, especially at a time when people's incomes are so squeezed in the UK, where we've got a really intense cost of living crisis, how we can put families first and all of their diversity at the heart of policy making, how we can make sure that our public services really work right from the beginning uh, and so on and so forth. So looking at those really big challenges 
and how ultimately we as the Labour Party can have the solutions to uh, face up to them. And of course, a big part of that work has actually been focusing on what Labour's already delivering, because while we may not be in power in Westminster, we do, of course, have a Labour-run government in Wales, one which has been actually generally pretty successful during this pandemic period, often much more successful than the Conservative-run government in Westminster, uh, one which has been very, very keen, again, to work with other bodies, you know, to work with businesses, trade unions, local councils, whereas the Conservative government in Westminster has been far more divisive in its approach, often less effective. And Labour's also in government, of course, with our metro mayors, our local councils as well, up and down the country. And of course, we have a very increasingly strong Scottish Labour Party now under the leadership of Anas Sarwar. So we're using those examples as well. And of course, those from previous Labour governments too, and indeed cases from social democratic parties uh, and progressive parties across the world to say, well, look, there are solutions a lot of the time already there that we can be drawing on in developing that policy uh, prognosis for the future. But a very important point that you've uh, made is about how people got together. I mean, it is a sort of almost a paradox because in many countries we have seen uh, such a strict lockdown where people were very much uh, into their own individual households and still there was this instinct of solidarity. But uh, some of the observers are saying that uh, it also benefited uh, a lot uh, the parties in the government at best. And uh, the report that you are presenting working together uh, is a very severe diagnosis on the Conservative Party because, I mean, for anybody who is going to look at the website, you are immediately going to see the two columns, what the Conservatives are doing wrong and what the Labour Party is going to do right. Do you think that uh, this uh, this phenomenon of what, you know, some people call rallying around the state and rallying around the flag is uh, not going to jeopardize the chances of the Labour Party to make a convincing appeal? Perhaps previously, many people were desperate for the government to succeed. In fact, I think all of us wanted it to, because obviously we wanted to see an end to this dreadful crisis. Of course, it's still upon us. We still have very large numbers of people uh, catching COVID in the UK. But thankfully, because of the vaccine programme, you know, our NHS, the volunteers, the GPs, who are delivering that, we're managing to weather that, although obviously with severely negative consequences still for many, many people. But I do think during the kind of height of certainly the first and second waves of the crisis, I'm sure the Conservatives did benefit from that because people wanted them to succeed so fervently. But we're in a situation now where I think many people can see that the leadership they may have felt the Conservatives were providing back then wasn't authentic. It wasn't genuine because of what we've just been finding out about over the last few weeks, that actually, while in some cases immense heartbreaking sacrifice was expected from the British people. And in fact, their Conservative leaders were in some cases literally laughing uh, at that sacrifice and behaving in a way as if those rules just did not apply to them at all. And I think this is very important for the Labour Party because Keir Starmer in particular, as the Labour leader, offers such a strong contrast on that Uh, criterion of leadership. You know, he's someone who's totally straightforward. He said one of his founding values in government would be respect alongside security and prosperity. 
And people believe him when he says that he respects them because they've seen a demonstration of that. You know, he's the man who I think poor thing has been in self-isolation about six times, I think, because he's always followed the rules and he wouldn't expect others to follow rules that he himself was not following. And that's a really strong contrast for the Conservatives. So I think actually... The current situation demonstrates the strength of Labour, I would say, under Keir Starmer's leadership in contrast to that very you know, inauthentic, insincere uh, approach to leadership that we've had from the Conservative government. And uh, the manifesto, the document, the summary of those different conversations has uh, six ambitious pillars. But the first one, and I'm not surprised, uh, you know, knowing also that uh, uh, you were the one to be first one in political uh, context to be calling climate change and climate emergency, um, that climate and digitalization come as first as uh, the context in which uh, what you call better jobs and better work should be ensured. But there's also a lot of skepticism nowadays. I mean, at the very beginning, of the of the pandemic people so right we can have a different model of production and consumption the environment can be preserved digitalization has been ensuring that so many of us could carry uh, working even from a distance uh, but today people are coming with all those different issues and uh, do you think that the social democrats do have answers uh, because the other side of the coin is of course energy prices the other side of the coin is uh, of course the question of connectivity and the right to disconnect so there is a lot of that coming in, which, you know, creates additional division and inequalities. Well, I would say that actually social democratic parties and the Labour Party have the solutions. We have to have the solutions, obviously, because we are in that climate and ecological crisis. But I think we're the only parties that can protect the environment and face up to those challenges, uh, as well as the challenges of of digitalisation, and do that at the same time as promoting people's living standards. And I think the announcements that Labour's made over recent days demonstrate that. So, you know, you see, for example, some figures on the right of politics in the UK, certainly the Conservative government, uh, saying either that they will do literally nothing about the high cost of living and the growing cost of living in the UK, or if they're thinking about change, then it would be around, for example, removing green measures. Well, Labour's approach has been very, very different. We said, well, let's look at people's lives right now. What's the big problem for them? Uh, Well, often in the UK, it's that already their fuel bills have gone up really substantially, and they look set to be jumping again in April. So, Uh, We set out in a really clear, costed way how we deal with that. First, by using the extra tax receipts that government's getting in because of the additional cost of fuel. But we've also said, look, we need to have a windfall tax on the oil and gas companies. They're set to have made record, to have had record incomes uh, from 2020 to 2021. So we need to actually then use that to support people who need help with their bills right now. So we set out a really different approach. And I think that is what, you know, parties like Labour do very, very differently. You know, we do it very differently from the right. I would say we also really approach these issues very, very differently to green parties as well, because social justice, people's living standards, their 
experience, their lives are fundamental to how we then approach the environment. You know, we don't just look at the environment and cater for that. We really care about people. And that's where I think the big difference is. And of course, so within your portfolio, you have uh, very much of precisely that humane connection because uh, being responsible for uh, fighting for women's rights and uh, against inequalities, uh, um, especially now in yet another crisis. And that's uh, the third one we're experiencing in a very short time. There is a lot to be said and uh, Stronger Together is providing some of the answers uh, regarding on how we could forge a new gender egalitarian contract, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. And I think there's a real thirst for change, particularly coming from many young women at the moment in the UK in the aftermath of, uh, sadly, some of the awful uh, developments that we've seen in our country, particularly when it comes, for example, to criminal justice in general. We've seen a number of instances where actually, uh, you know, really quite appalling uh, examples of poor protection of women have continued. Uh, You know, I won't run through the different cases. They're absolutely heartbreaking, but they show very clearly that change must come. It was already overdue but it's even more needed now and that's of course important when it and critically important when it comes to women's safety and of course we've seen sadly an increase in domestic violence during those lockdown periods of course Um, it's enabled abusers to sadly abuse more during that time but in addition of course we've seen a reduction in women's economic security as well as their physical security in very many cases so Women were more likely to be uh, furloughed. So that was the the system of wage support that was put in um, at the beginning of the crisis. They're also more likely to be asking for wage support, not given it uh, than men were. Of course, they had to take on the vast bulk of caring responsibilities when children in the UK were sent home from school. So they've really had to shoulder quite a lot of what's taken place Uh, in this country during this period. And so many people that I'm speaking to say that they really need change now. They need to see that change. And I think especially with more and more women finding that it's harder to get work that fits in with their life rather than their life feeling like it's being run by work. You know, there's there's very strong pressure there, I think, for, you know, many of the different policy innovations that are being put forward by Labour. So we, we set out a new deal for working people and many of those measures would make quite a radical difference to many working women as well as men as well. And you mentioned an important distinction because uh, you also mentioned uh, the category of young people and they had already been a group uh, that faced a lot of challenges challenges with uh, the uh, labour market uh, not being exactly offering a lot of opportunities. And uh, then additionally, COVID came about. uh, And uh, I have to mention that, please forgive me, I know that you dislike the word as much as I do, but also Brexit came around uh, at that period. So um, Erasmus, for example, came under the question, you know, what's the Labour Party deal for the young people? Um, I'm not trying to be opportunistic uh, here in asking this question, uh, but evidently we as social democrats, as you said in your first intervention, we stand for social justice, we stand for intergenerational solidarity. So what can we offer to be not this, you know, traditional parties that the parents and grandparents worked for, but uh, something that, uh, you know, we do offer this future for that generation? Absolutely. And, um, you know, again, I would say that uh, peers' principles of respect security and prosperity are so important for young people in the UK right now, you know, for many of the reasons that you just set out, you know, what's taken place with 
education, but also with people's lack of economic security, particularly intense for young people. And I would also add, fundamentally within the UK, the lack of housing security, which you know hits young people so hard. It's now hitting many older people as well. We've, for the first time in the UK, now got many, many older people who are in housing insecurity in the private rented sector. But we've also, of course, got very, very many young people um, who are unable to get on the housing ladder, you know, record numbers now of young people, at least in recent memory, not able to be owner-occupiers. And when I say young, actually, it's stretching it out into people's 30s and 40s now, where people are simply not able to even think about getting a mortgage, uh, let alone actually ensure that they had their own home. So Labour set out quite a number of different policy proposals on measures that would support young people. Of course, there are all those measures in that new deal for working people, which are so important for young people, because they're often at the sharp end of precarious, low-paid, unpredictable work uh, that's really difficult to live on. But in addition, our policies on housing, I think, really will be very important for younger people. You know, some of the measures that we set out around, for example, ensuring that you really are building those new homes for local people to move into, those people who need those homes, um, uh, including young people, I think is just going to be incredibly important for the future, as well as making rental uh, far safer, of course, for young people also. Um, but, you know, I think there's there's so many different things that young people care about. And I always find this when I go out and about across the country and talk with young people that, you know, they're concerned about the whole gamut of politics. And I don't feel they feel that particularly the Conservative government has been listening to them at all. I think many of them feel now that they can start to listen and have that discussion with Labour. Um, but we, of course, need to make sure we have a strong bond with them in the future and that we've earned their trust and their support. So certainly a lot for us to do there, uh, but I think we're certainly making the right steps in the right direction. And talking now about the programme versus strategy, because you've mentioned that already also at the beginning you uh, tapped into the question of the SNP. Uh, you've mentioned the uh, Welsh uh, government. So evidently the Labour Party has the places when it is very strong and remains to be very strong, but there are also the uh, parts of the United Kingdom where it is facing difficulty. So how, uh, if I can ask, because these questions are always politically very sensitive, what would be the way of, uh, you know, on one side going uh, around the phenomenon of very strong S&P that uh, tries to portray itself really as the party of uh, um, national but also social democratic agenda one way or another, and uh, the other regions were, like in Wales, uh, you know, you have a stronghold and the big divisions that we know that are persisting in England. Yes, I mean, I, I fundamentally believe that a nationalist party like the Scottish Nationalist Party cannot be a social democratic party. And looking at what's taken place in Scotland since the SNP has been in government, you know, it's very, very difficult to describe that party as one which has the same values as, you know, the Labour Party or other social democratic parties. I mean, some of the worst examples of educational disadvantage and division now in Scotland, uh, the highest rate of drug deaths in Western Europe in Scotland, um, also reducing life expectancy in many communities in Scotland. So many cases, worryingly, where people in Scotland are being held back. And I think there's tremendous opportunities for Labour in Scotland. And with Anna Sarwar strong leadership, I think that you know people are starting to see that it's the Labour Party that actually resonates with their 
values. And, you know, Anas talks a lot about the fact that, you know, when we are unified, when people have worked together, again, you can see this theme right across labour, um, you know, when we respect each other, um, uh, when we work to make sure that everyone's secure in their communities, that we have that shared prosperity, then ultimately we can we can actually um, you know see the benefits that we need to see for people and of course this is going to be becoming increasingly important with that cost of living crisis biting everywhere across the UK so I think there are many opportunities actually for labor there I think we've also benefited from the fact that we've got you know really strong leadership where we have got control uh, of government so you know Mark Drakeford very strong Welsh leader very authentic leader again underlining the that value of respect again that you know the Welsh people know that he respects them and and they uh, uh, respect him and I would say the same actually with many of our our regional leaders also you know obviously Labour now has very many of the metro uh, mayoral positions, uh, including the first woman, which is really exciting, uh, Tracy Braben. And we've uh, shown, I think, actually a very different style of leadership during this crisis. Unfortunately, one that the Conservative government in Westminster has often uh, fought against rather than embraced. And, and you know, that's le- led to unnecessary problems during this crisis. We are very much looking forward uh, to the conversation just this uh, Saturday. And uh, I promise that this is my very last question uh, for what has been an incredibly insightful, instructive and inspirational conversation, uh, Annalise. But, you know, I went through the entire uh, document. I read it back and forth. And uh, because we still adore and still remain so grateful for the legacy of yours as a member of the European Parliament, uh, you know, we see that the European Union Union is not at the central part of the consideration right now. Uh, we know that you know Brexit is painful for all of us uh, who do believe that uh, Britain and uh, uh, European Union belong together. We uh, know that this is a difficult topic and currently, of course, not with a very clear datum uh, when it would come to the sort of any next decision. But uh, how do you see the Labour Party on that particular field? And I apologize for this uh, sort of tricky question to be our grand finale at this stage. Not at all. And I have to say, I I don't think it's a tricky question because, again, here, I think Labour's values are more important than ever. And those social democratic values are more important than ever. And of course, um, you know, when it comes to specific issues like what's taking place currently in Northern Ireland, uh, you know, Labour's had a very, very different approach to the Conservative approach. You know, we've said consistently the way to ultimately make Brexit work is not through um, the kind of, you know, hot air, frankly, that we've seen, um, you know, both in the UK side and from the EU side uh, around some of these issues. Instead, it's by actually, you know, sitting down, compromise, and above all, involving the Northern Irish actors themselves, because they have not been involved in these discussions. Um, It's unbelievable, given their intensity and the potential uh, for failure that would then be meted on, well, it's already uh, having an impact, particularly on business in Northern Ireland and on people's living standards. Um, so we do have that very different approach. I mean, we're arguing, for example, that there needs to be, um, you know, pragmatic agreements in areas like veterinary standards, where, um, you know, surely we can find a common solution that would enable us to trade in the way that we need 
to trade. And But we also would say that we need to make sure that we have for the future across social democracy, you know, that international engagement that's been shown to be more necessary than ever during this crisis period. And of course, that, that's gone beyond the major blocks of the EU. It's gone beyond, you know, um, those individual regions within the globe. And it's truly international. You know, none of us is safe during a crisis like coronavirus until everyone is safe. You know, when we've got some countries in the world where vaccination rates are way lower than 10 percent, you know, we will always, as open countries, be potentially at risk. So the value of internationalism, I think, is clearer than ever. And, you know, again, their labour has been setting out what we think needs to change so that together we can face up to those challenges, not just from coronavirus, but, of course, from any future pandemics and epidemics and other threats that, sadly, we know will be coming down the line in future years and where we must work together far more effectively. Annelies Dots, uh, uh, Chair of the Labour Party, has been our very special guest uh, on today's episode. And for all of you tuning in, please do not miss her intervention on Saturday 15th during the Peps Fabian's New Year's conference, uh, where a special panel will be devoted to the question on the future of uh, social democracy and uh, uh, wishing you all the best and wishing you all possible success uh, with uh, stronger together program with uh, making sure that the promise you have inside Britain in 2030 is going to bring social justice, that is going to bring the opportunities, equal opportunities, rights to all the citizens and keeping up fingers crossed, I would like to just reassure that while Stronger Together has been designed very much as the um, program for the electorate in Britain, we feel stronger together when we cooperate and do count on the support of the progressive family. And as much as we can be there, of course, we are thanking you very much for being so inspiring and so open to us today. Oh, well, thank you ever so much. Thanks for all you do. And it's been wonderful having this conversation. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.